My name is Sharzad Kiade. I'm a Gemini pescatarian, a mom of two wild little boys. I'm Susan Yara. I'm a mom of two also. This morning, I went to the bathroom alone. I woke up at five, put my boob in her mouth, and then she took a dump. Because that's what she uses me for. <laughs> that's what you're going to hear a lot of our stories and experiences in our crazy journeys to motherhood. It's fam for all moms, not for all dads, not fathers and moms, for all moms. It's going to be a good old time. You guys are going to want to stick around. Promise. So subscribe. Hello, welcome to the TFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine, your glorious host, and I'm joined today by Alex Stewart, as usual. Hello, Alex. Hello. How are you? Ah, uh, fine. Great. Let's talk about football then. Uh, we will begin by talking about all of the football. Oh, okay. Uh, there were obviously some very important fixtures over the weekend. Not to mention Liverpool. Well, I am going to mention them. Liverpool, Manchester United. It was a, a bigger game of football. Uh, the most exciting one, of course, was Southampton Arsenal. I think we should start with that. Uh, so today's podcast is going to take two halves. The first is getting excited about Ralph Hasenhutl, which is a bit what we did last week. We're going to do it again, but with more information. The second half of the podcast, we're going to talk about a theme that we've been exploring over the last few weeks. The theme is, I can't be concise or pithy, so I'm going to say it in too many words. The theme is sort of tactical identity of coaches, long-term projects, short-term managers, big five, four, six clubs. And we're going to sort of compare them. So if, uh, if you have seen, you may not have, but if you have seen, we made a video a couple of weeks ago about what would happen if Maurizio Pochettino were to take over at Manchester United. And the opening couple of paragraphs of that video talked about the idea that of the top six, Mourinho is really the only coach left that doesn't seem to have a particularly clear tactical philosophy. Maybe that's unfair. Or, or maybe... What he has is a clear tactical philosophy that nobody likes. So maybe that's what it is. It's, a, it's of yesteryear. It's of old. Time's gone by. Doesn't make any more sense, Alex. Doesn't make any more sense. The rest of the big clubs have either recruited coaches recently or Pochettino himself, who is now the longest running top six coach currently. They all seem to have ideas. They're heading places and the standings of the league this season would seem to, um, seem to support that idea as well. So that will be the second half of the podcast. Nevertheless, let's begin with Southampton. And Hasenhutl at St Mary's, was it? Yes, it was. How very exciting was that? Here's the first question, right? Were you excited? I was excited. Uh, Alex is a Southampton fan, by the way. I, yeah, uh, I have swum in mediocrity for so long now as a Southampton fan that this was... I mean, I, when I watch games... And you'll know this from when we watched England games together during the World Cup. Mm-hmm. I don't really get excited. No. I don't really... You know, but when Southampton scored their third goal on Sunday, I I did a little cheer. Did you, Daddy? Yeah, you just shouted, Daddy, aloud. I I was at home on my own watching it, and I just went like that, and then I kind of. How big was it? Did you stand up? No, I didn't. Did you gesticulate? Did you uh, move your body? I think there was a little fist. A fist came up. Goodness me! You were almost part of the tribe. Well, sort of, Mm. Um, and. I think the reason for it, obviously, it was great to win. It was not a game I was expecting to get really any more than one point, possibly from. Probably a, a loss would have been fine. Well, I'll stop you there because yeah. I've got some specific questions for you. Oh, go on then. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll let you know what we're going to talk about now. I want to ask you in the future, uh, as in later in this podcast, about the impact of having an, a charismatic new coach because he really seemed to be quite excited. And I'll admit, even I got some goosebumps when uh, when you won the game. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. It's so exciting to see. He reminded me of Jurgen Klopp, you know, in the sort of running on the pitch, kind of, yeah, straight over to the players thing. Yeah. That was great. Firstly, though, let's talk about the system because we tried to do this last week. We mentioned, of course, that his time at RB Leipzig uh, was spent sort of in a way following a system that was already in place there for him from Ralf Rangnick beforehand. That, that, that's the inference. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's the inference because there was a distinction between how his Ingolstadt side played and the setup formationally that he used at Leipzig. Mm-hmm. Ranić well, given that Ranić became football director, it, that, yeah. it seems likely that that so, is. So it case. is, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't I don't know that anyone's explicitly stated it. No. But. So my first question would be this. Southampton, uh, they beat Arsenal 3-2 in case anyone doesn't know the sense <clears> of this. They set up with How could three. you not know that? Uh, who knows? They set up with three at the back, right? And my first question was... And it's going to be impossible for you to answer, really. 
But do you think that is something that uh, that Hasenhutl might continue with, or do you think that that was specifically to counter Arsenal, who also set up with three at the back? So, from I mean, I, I would be lying if I said I'd gone back and watched every single Ingolstadt or RB Leipzig game. However, from what I've seen of Hasenhutl previously, he's not used a back three that I can see. Maybe uh-huh. once or twice at Leipzig, but it's quite unlikely. Southampton have played with the back three a fair bit before. So I think in that sense, it was probably a balance. Like he, he played a, a sort of 4-3-3, kind of a 4-1-2-2-1 uh, in the previous fixture against Cardiff. And this, to me, seemed like a natural sort of mix of it matches Arsenal's system, so that's quite smart. Mm-hmm. It's a system that the players have been used to for a while. Yeah. So that makes sense. Well, with the, with the, I also with think the... so, he, he will have looked at the defensive weaknesses against yeah. Cardiff. And mm. it's a thing that we've said before. You know, If you've got two centre-backs who aren't doing all that well, then switch to three at the back because it affords greater cover in that area. Yeah. And that may have been part of his thinking as well. Yeah, well, I was going to say, um, when you mentioned that they match Arsenal's formation, um, obviously the other thing that we saw, and uh, even Alan Shearer picked up on this on Match of the Day, which I don't believe you did see, um, they did a very good job of uh, of discussing the the amount of high pressing that Southampton were doing. Mm. I mean, they were choking off Arsenal right from the get go. Yeah. Uh, Alan Shearer suggested that Danny Ings starting that or whoever was in the centre forward position at the time was the trigger for everyone else to run behind and support. And it, it really did seem throughout the game like they were just, as I said, choking Arsenal back. If you are intending to press to such a high velocity that Southampton did against Arsenal, does it make sense to match their formation? If you have man-for-man in key areas of the pitch, and if if there's going to be an imbalance if you're you're playing a different formation, is that potentially the reason why they did that? I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, So Arsenal... Arsenal and Southampton both had sort of three players in the attacking space, but Arsenal's were a lot more attacking. Mm. So... You can you can fold quite neatly back into a five with the wing backs tucking in, and then you're still basically man for man with spare players wide yeah. to defend that. Going forwards, however, this was a thing that Ingolstadt used to do, which was that the 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 central striker would sort of determine the press to start with, but there was quite a lot of swapping, so that if a player moved to press. Uh, so you know if the ball shifts from right to left and a player follows that to press the guy who's receiving the pass then the other forward players would sort of dovetail in and fill in the spaces Mm -hmm. so I think knowing that the Arsenal had three at the back playing three attacking players that could pressure everyone in the Arsenal defensive region who had the ball plus invite the wing backs target and Valerie to push up and assist with that pressing did make a lot of sense okay I think if you were if you were looking to do that system and you were playing a 4-3-3, you could probably press Arsenal's backline as effectively, but you would leave spaces through the centre, um, particularly when you're then... You, it's it's less about the press and more about the transition if the press is broken, okay. is my point. Okay. One of the other things I found interesting was that in his post-batch interview, uh, Hasenhutl after the game said uh, that they had obviously cancelled their day off training, so there was a full week. Um, it was very intensive. He acknowledged that the players, some of the players, mentioned that they had cramp after the game. You know, um, and Hasenhutl said that they were working on the fundamentals. Mm. And they were getting back to basics. Yeah. I wondered whether that included the back three. Presumably, if they, if if he knew they were going to face up against Arsenal, whether that is something they're going to do going forwards or not. Presumably, they would they would have uh, practiced those fundamentals within that formation. But what do you think? That means what if if a coach says we've gone back to basics, we're doing fundamentals all week, and this is an interesting idea for for whenever a new coach comes in. Obviously, you know you said before there are some defensive frailties at Southampton. More than that, though, the problem has been with scoring goals this season so far. Three in his in his second game is not bad. Mm. Um, but what do you think those fundamentals would have been on the training pitch? That's a very tricky question because... I put you on the spot. You have put I didn't even tell you I was going to ask you no, that No, you didn't, no. <laughs> um, so I think Southampton's two greatest weaknesses, aside from a general sense that they weren't quite sure how they were supposed to play under Hughes, mm. and there was, a, there was a loss of a kind of 
identity in terms of systems, in terms of personnel, in terms of approach. So in some ways, if I'm Hassan Hootl and I want to get back to basics, the first thing I'm going to do is come in and say, right, the way we will play this is... This is a football. Very, <laughs> this is a football. That is a goal. Please yeah. try and put one in the other. Right. Um, we're going to play direct. Yeah. We're going to try and progress the ball down the wings and then pull it back into the centre. Do they know what that means, do you think? If, yes. If, if he says to them, we're going to play direct, yes. does he not need to say, when you've got the ball here, you pass it here, not here? That, does it get that to me that's the think? second stage of it right so the first thing is to say i mean so southampton have been guilty of a lack of incision they it's not that that previously we've not been creating many chances but players have been taking way too many touches yeah there's been a kind of intricacy think like late era wenger at their very worst yes you know where every you're trying to pass the ball into the back of the net but it doesn't mm. work so I think the first thing he will have said, and to be fair, he said it against uh, or in the press conference after Cardiff, mm. too many touches. Yeah. So instead of maybe looking to dribble, come back inside, do a layoff, if there's an option running out wide, bang it out wide, okay. then get yourself into the box. Now, of yeah. course, what that means is as an adjunct to saying that's how I want to play, what you also then have to do is say to the player who's wide, you know, when when Nathan Redmond is in the half space and looking for an option out wide, you've got to be there to do that. Mm -hmm. Nathan, once you've passed it to Valerie on the outside and, you know, then you run in and provide Mm -hmm. an option in the box. So I think style is the first thing that you get across. Yeah. But these are Premier League footballers. So if you say to them, I want you to play more direct and take fewer touches, they're going to know what that means. Okay. Then the next thing to do is to create a, a sense of where players ought to be the very kind of end point is your sort of Maurizio Sarri style of as soon as you have the ball in this area, mm. you are going to be doing this, mm. you are going to be doing that. And everybody knows where everyone else is supposed to be. And it's a very well-oiled machine. Because as was said by the analysis on Match of the Day after the game, the trigger that they were pointing to for the pressing, which is something that we talk about in videos quite a lot, was just Danny Ings going for it if he was at centre-forward. Yeah. And so really, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Because they've had one intensive week of training. Yeah. They haven't had the time to... To, for the system to become more sophisticated than that. Yeah. So instead, he's picked a clever, smart forward, yeah. and he said, Danny, you know when to go. Yeah. Everyone else, when you see Danny go, Just that's follow when you go. Him. And yeah. that's not a bad idea, right? It's not a bad idea at all. And I think that... Particularly with how much Danny Ings runs anyway. Right. And and also, given that if Danny Ings had to come off for any reason, or as mm-hmm. there were later on in the game, there were substitutes, mm-hmm. Charlie Austin and Shane Long are also both very capable of doing that. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going so to ask you got this kind of Charlie Austin because he um, was he's been starting before. Yeah. Um in a, in a high pressing system like this presumably Danny Ings is going to be the favorite over Charlie Austin, not necessarily Shane Long, but they offer something slightly different, don't they? Yeah, they do. I mean, I think Danny Ings' goal scoring record even for us as we're suffering is still pretty good. I I can't remember if it's 5 and 11 or 6 and 11, but um I think I think the issue that, that Southampton... It, it's very difficult to judge Southampton's goal scorers during the kind of Hughes era and even slightly before then mm. because there were so many of these chances that were being created but just not in the right way or that the strikers weren't able to get on. There was also a huge amount of rotation among the strikers. Yeah. So no one was really able to kind of bed in, get a run of games and... Austin probably is a more natural goal scorer, mm-hmm. but offers slightly less in the press. Ings is very smart. Mm. Um, they all work extremely hard. They were all headers as well, weren't they? Apart from Mkhitaryan's goal. Uh, the one, yeah, the Mkhitaryan one that got a massive deflection. Yeah, yeah. the rest I think four headers. In um, and that you know, again with Ingolstadt, if you look at them, a feature of their play very much was get it as wide as you can as quickly as you can and then have two or three players running into the box at mm-hmm. pace from deep yeah and that's why having armstrong and redmond sat behind a single striker makes a lot of sense because you can time those runs a little differently it's the the way the front three played is quite similar to how engelstadt played a lot of the time okay the the difference is behind that but to go back to your original question about pressing Pressing can get super complicated, but 
there are fundamentals about it which are really straightforward. You identify what the triggers are mm. and you tell your players how much you want them to commit to that. And so what he's done is said, okay, well, I want to implement this style because this is my style, this is how I do stuff. Mm. And of all of the ways that I can get them to press, a, a ball shifting out wide is an obvious one. Otherwise, yeah, when Danny Ings goes, everyone else goes. Because there was a lot of crossing over as well. I mean, the, the thing I noticed, and, and maybe that, that is in part due to uh, the the current lack of sophistication of that press, which isn't a criticism. As, as we said, there's not been a lot of time to, to learn that. But there was an awful lot of crossing over from the front three. So, for example... But that's how that's how he likes them to do it. Right, if, so it's kind of chaotic he, almost, isn't it? Well, Is it, the danger, presumably, if you get past that, that there's a lot more space behind? Yes, and I think in that regard, it's why playing effectively a three plus seven... Yeah. And, you know, that that central midfield pivot, Romeo and Hoiberg, uh, I mean, Lamina was injured, I think, which is possibly why he wasn't playing. But you've got two players there who do naturally like to sit slightly deeper. Yeah. So he's creating quite a, a an obvious kind of low block potential there. Um, but the way he got his sides to press, the English side to press, was by having... The, whoever in the front three was chasing the ball, yeah. they would keep going after that right. and the other players would tuck in to try and okay. keep the sort of three shape as much as they possibly could. Very interesting. And, and they've picked that up quite quickly, it would mm. appear. Gung-ho, it seems. A little bit, it's yeah. A little bit but, loose, loose the shackles, right? But what was so great to see was, was actually, as a Southampton fan, rather than to see um, that you know this was working in some regard, was actually that there was a clear set of instructions and yeah. the players were working their asses off to fulfill that. Yeah, they were really up for it. Because that has been lacking. And mm-hmm. I don't I don't criticise the players for that because I think Hughes was Confusing. sending them out every different game with a different yeah. set of instructions. So yeah. how are you supposed to know what your rough idea is? Yeah, sure. And you need something to default to. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that Hassan Hootl will bring is a very very clear sense of how he wants the the squad to play and it's a good squad yeah. i mean you know if your striking options include Danny Ings and Charlie Austin most lower half of the table sides would take either of those happily yeah. you know there's no way that we should be in the position we're in okay well that's southampton a word on arsenal briefly the player i wanted to mention was um goal scorer at Mkhitaryan because you know anything that happened for arsenal seemed to go through him yesterday yeah. how important has he been to arsenal since he was Traded over in that bizarre swap deal with a player whose name I can't remember. Um, but Urza, uh, of course, was Sanchez. Yes, I was making a joke about <laughs> oh, right. how shit he'd been, but thank you. Um, so, well, I'm, I, you couldn't remember Alan Hansen earlier. I've, I've kicked the ball straight over your head there. Okay, good. Um, but it's probably my fault as well as yours. Uh, yes, I wonder how important he's been. I mean, obviously, <clears throat> I'm not sure Arsenal were expecting to come up against such a mighty force as uh, the South Coast Saints uh, on, on Sunday, but. They did rest Ozil. They played Mkhitaryan. And to me, he seems to be, of those sort of naturally central creative players, he seems to be the one, for me, that's clicking more with the yeah. system this season. He's, he's been, at times, integral, hasn't he? And he certainly was. If Arsenal were to get anything out of the game on Sunday, mm. it would have been as a result of him, presumably. Well, Emery seems to like to have this sort of not dissimilar to Southampton front three when he starts games, which is to have uh, an actual striker and then have two kind of more attacking midfielders who can push in or out either side of them uh, in Awobi and Mkhitaryan. Um, he can then change that up and and stick, you know, Aubameyang or Alakazat together with somebody playing off them and sort of shift the triangle around. I, I think Mkhitaryan's a weird one because he was exceptional at Dortmund and the move over here never really seemed to get going for him. I don't think he made a really big impression at United. I think he scored a couple of quite important goals but but otherwise never really got off and running. And I think it's sort of been similar here but I, I'm not entirely sure that Emery... You know, Arsenal still haven't led at half-time in any game Emery's in-game decision-making seems to be good, but seems to be about addressing things that he's sort of got wrong or aren't working to start with, which does beg a question of why aren't they working to start with? And although Mkhitaryan did score twice in this game, 
it's hard to really think of him as being integral to any of their other performances this season. Mm. Possibly because I've missed that, mm-hmm. but it's more been about Obama Yang, Lacazette, Ramsey coming off the bench and changing things. Torreira has obviously been exceptional. Mkhitaryan is not... I'm not really kind of thinking of him as being, uh, you know, he's the key guy. Um, and they need to sort the Ozil situation out as well mm. because he's not really doing anything or getting any game time. Right, well, I suppose let's move on now to talk about some of the other teams. All of the big teams were in uh, playing this weekend because they do every weekend. <laughs> That's how the league structure works, isn't it? Um, but as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, the thing we want to focus on is something that we've talked about before, the idea of coaches at the bigger clubs with a sort of tactical identity and, uh, more importantly, a long-term vision, right? And so, as we have uh, have we isolated before, Mourinho as someone who potentially doesn't, perhaps it makes sense to start with Liverpool-Manchester United in that case, mm. because on the uh, reverse bench is Jurgen Klopp, whose difference seems to have... Uh, uh, really taken hold even more so this season, if that were believable. You know, those little tweaks that we've discussed before that he's made to Liverpool this season are making them an almighty force, top of the league. Um, this game went pretty much as you would expect it to, didn't it? Manchester United were dour. Uh, they didn't really look like creating anything. Liverpool, it took them a while to get going. Of course, it was a tight game. The last two, I believe, have been nil-nil, so I'm not sure mm. You know how, how many goals, if, if any people were expecting the Liverpool to score three goals, but certainly in terms of... Um, of uh, well, form this season, it reflects it pretty well, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, form and, and home advantage and that inbuilt Mourinho desire to go to big teams away and just stifle the game. Yeah. And if Mourinho had got a 1-1 from that, he'd have been absolutely delighted. Um, and it was intelligent management by Klopp to bring on Shakiri. Um, to attack spaces that were opening up. Manchester United weren't leaving much space at the back, but in order to you know, sit back and defend around the edge of the box and prevent Salah and Firmino from finding space there, by default they were leaving some space slightly further ahead of that. Mm. And, and Shakiri apparently was saying, you know, I, I'm sitting on the bench watching the game and I could see the space and and he was then able to attack that. You could really see, like before both goals, you can really see him lingering. You know, there's, well, a, there's a clear, there's a, there's a clear idea in his head of what he wants. To a, do. there's a clear idea, and I also there was something fascinating where I can't remember if it was before the first or the second of his goals, yeah. but he pushes up towards the edge of the penalty area and then pulls back, pulls back ever so slightly, but also gestures for that's I think first, it's Fabinho. Yeah, that's the first goal, and and he's saying to Fab, you know he's looking to his side. Right, you come up a little bit alongside me here, and I'm going to make this run around the side. And yeah. you you can see that I, I love watching players who are organizers and who are constantly looking around, mm-hmm. and you can see it with some. I mean, we we mentioned Marco Royce earlier um, in the the section that we did before the main podcast. Marco Royce, if you watch him during a game, he is always looking and he's always telling other people where to be. And that sort of on-pitch leadership or understanding of the game, you can you can see why Shakiri is the sort of player who sits on the bench, watches things and identifies mm. space and then gets on the pitch and starts telling other players where to be. Yeah. And if you're Jurgen Klopp and you can pick up a guy like that from a relegated club for not a huge amount of money to then come on and change a game like that. That's mm. that's very astute, kind of, you know, not man management. That's the sort of, you know, the, the, the transfer director of football style management. That yeah. He's obviously very good at that as well. Well, going back to the central question then, I mean, you've said that you've, we've looked at Liverpool. Not only have we suggested that there's a clear idea from Klopp of what's happening, but also, you know, it goes... To extremes in that Shakiri sitting on the bench with a clear idea of what he wants to do within that mm. uh, frame as well. Yeah. With Manchester United, on the other hand, I think it would be fair to say that we know what Mourinho is trying to do in games like that. As you mentioned, he loves to go away to big clubs and uh, lock lock the back and front door. Mm. Let's say. Um, I remember I, I read the Rory Smith's article in the Guardian about the game afterwards. Um, and he said, in amongst, I should mention, an awful lot of B 
beautiful poetry-like written words. I do like reading Rory Smith. Uh, he said, uh, a Mourinho team that can't defend. Imagine that, you mm. know, because they seemed all over the place. And, and partly that will, will be because I don't think there's been a consistent starting back four or back five mm-hmm. or whatever it's been all season. Mm. That seems to be... Ch- and again, injuries permitting that Chris Smalling was injured in the lead-up to the game. But neither of us are going to sit here and say that if Chris Smalling wasn't injured, <laughs> that the result would have been any different or that he might have had any better idea what to do. Well, Bailey and Lindelof are his should be his two right. first-choice centre-backs anyway. Sure. Um, Matic uh, it just seems to have lost the will to live this yeah. season. It, 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 all three of Liverpool's goals, you can point to, you can, as well as other failures as well, I'm not yeah. singling out Matic, but you can point to specific failures on his part. Yeah. Mostly, it just it's giving a shit. It just seems like know. the game has is right. bypassed him. Right. He's kind of stood there and it's all happened around him without right. him kind of tuning in. So whether or not Mourinho is... Informing his players how to how yeah. to see out his his tactical idea. We know what that is. There's two things there. There's either the players can't do it, they're not doing it, they don't want to do it, or the other thing is that um, it's outdated anyway, yeah. and that Mourinho's tactical identity, for whatever it's worth, isn't going to cut it any longer against the sort of newer ideas from newer coaches in the new Premier League. Which of those two do you think? I mean, it's a mixture of the both. Isn't yeah, it? I, it has to be a mixture of the both because, okay, let's, if you look at teams who uh, create a really effective low block and counter-attack brilliantly, those teams, teams can still be successful because mm. you have teams like Atletico Madrid. Although we know that Burnley have been less successful this season even trying to do that. Yeah, but that's more because Burnley's defensive system has not performed as well as it has done previously. It's not that the idea has changed, it's just the the way uh, it's done. So it's it's not like low block plus counter-attack has suddenly become ineffective. Yeah, um, You're also looking at a coach in Mourinho who... Particularly, I think if you look at his, this is all still fine. Um, particularly if you look at that inter side that that won the treble. You know, this was a guy who was able to convince Wesley Schneider to track back and make tackles to to play mm. Samueletto on the wings with a you know a job to follow wing backs back and and defend them. So mm. he's a guy who has certainly in the past been able to get players to buy in to tactically complex constructs that are not what they would naturally be expecting to do. Mm -hmm. He's also very good, or has been very good in the past, at training specific kind of game scenarios. You know, if if this happens, you do this. If that happens, you do that. So it seems to me that the the disjunct here is between him and his players. Yeah. I, I don't believe that he's suddenly lost the ability to communicate. No. I all lost the ability to understand how football works. I also don't think that his ideas are so outdated as to have been shown to be ineffective against anybody half decent. But it does follow the theme of his third season collapse. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, but, he, but the he's third still, season he's still the consistent element in that theme. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like somebody who has a series of relationships that always end at that particular point. And Listen, we're here to talk about football, Alex, not your own not personal Not my personal life. problem. Okay. Um, but the common denominator is always that person. And yeah. and he seems to have this kind of rancorous ability to upset and to annoy. And yeah. unfortunately for him, yeah. the issue is that, what, the Europa League aside, which I think is actually a pretty decent achievement... You know, there hasn't been the degree of success that mitigates mm. that aggressive, acerbic approach that he has. Plus, yeah. I think, you know, particularly when he was at, at Porto and he achieved what he did with a team that, you know, nobody could name Porto starting 11 when that Champions League mm. began. They were rank outsiders. Um, then at Chelsea, when he came over, he had a certain charm. He had a certain mm. style. He was dealing with an older generation of players who will have been. You know, that Chelsea dressing room would have been seriously impressed with what he achieved at Porto. Plus, mm-hmm. he brought a few of his key guys over with him to help that process. Yes. None of these transitions have occurred with United. There hasn't been the success. There hasn't been the convincing. There's not been a core of players that he can rely on, that that he trusts from previous instances. Mm. There are personalities in that squad who are not going to buy into that bullshit anymore. And now they're on the bench, mostly. <laughs> and now Paul Pogba is on the bench. Mm. And it, and I think as well, if you're 
if you're a Paul Pogba or a Jesse Lingard and you're getting all of this flack for launching a clothing line or having a haircut or whatever it is, you must suspect that some of that is being driven by the the manager or those friendly to the manager leaking that stuff into the press. Yeah. It creates that that sense of criticism that swirls around them. And if I were them, I'd be thinking, well... Just know, wait until he's gone. Just wait until he's gone. I mean, they can't sell everyone, right? No, they can't sell everyone. And, and there are players that, that it doesn't make sense to sell. Mm. Um if you're Paul Pogba, though, and you know, again, I hesitate to, to pick out Paul Pogba because the fact that he was on the bench, I don't think is that is the main story from this game this weekend. No, but if you're Paul Pogba, why wouldn't you want to leave? Oh, it, th- uh, there's it, literally no reason right, at all. There's no reason. I mean, you've won the World Cup mm-hmm. uh, playing. I, I mean, Paul Pogba wasn't France's star man, he but was he great, was pretty though. bloody good, sure. you know. Um, and you've had a stellar club career elsewhere. Mm. Come to United and stall under this poisonous little man who describes you in unflattering terms right. and doesn't treat you. I, I don't want to say with respect because it's. I, I don't. I don't think that. Well, no, maybe I do. That respect is actually part of it. That that the recognition of of achievements. You're, you're not going to pander to a player. Mm. You're not going to be like, oh, Paul, you won the World Cup. You must yeah. be the greatest guy. But you know, I think. That there's a sense that with certain players that you you do have an understanding of how important they can be to you and you yep. treat them in a way that recognises that. Are we and... talking about your dad again? Because <laughs> <laughs> Mar- I know he pushes you hard. He does push me hard, yeah. And Mourinho's consistently failed to do that. Um, <laughs> you know, there doesn't really seem to be anybody there who's willing to go to the wall to defend the manager. No, Whereas... but there, there, are, there, are, there are examples of players who... Rashford, I, I, I'm going to include Ashley Young in this as well. Yep. There are examples of players and Jesse Lingard, who some of whom have improved uh, during this period. I, I'm not going to say under Mourinho, but during mm. this period. And I think the, the, one of the issues I find with um, watching Manchester United, which I try to avoid doing uh, as much as possible this season, is um, when you see a player like Rashford, who's clearly so talented, yeah. you know, sprinting down the wing with the ball amidst a game where his teammates don't seem to be moving at all, yeah. it, 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 it shines a light and creates a kind of starker reality than you know need be, yeah. that there are other people in the team who aren't pulling but their the, weight. The, but this was a point that I made about... There was a clip from a game a couple of weeks back where, where Pogba wins the ball by basically hooking out mm. yeah, when he's fallen over and then dribbles around a little bit and gets dispossessed. And... Yeah, it was sort of, oh, well, that's typical Pogba, isn't it? He does something flash and brilliant mm. and then squanders possession. But again, you look at the context of that happening. No one's moving. Yeah, No one's making a run. And in that particular game, and I'm struggling to remember who it was against, but Rashford stuck out to me as being mm. the only guy that was really trying mm. to do something. Yeah. But then all you have to do is, as the opposition, identify that. Yeah. And think, oh well, if you know, stick someone on Rashford, it's going to be fine because no one else gives a shit. Do you think as well that within a team sport like that, there's obviously going to be a sentiment, a feeling inside, outside of the dressing room, at home for the players? They're going to know what each other are thinking, largely yeah. speaking, right? So, if you have a player like Rashford, Rashford, who is showing the rest of the team up in a difficult moment, do you think there's almost a pressure on players who are still trying hard to try a little bit less hard to uh, make the difference look? Less again. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, if if you're, do, do you know. think there's a bit, of, or, or is it? It's not a collective fall. It's kind of individuals one by one, sort of falling off the pace. Yeah. Because I, I I can't believe that any Premier League footballer, maybe not any, but most Premier League footballers would consciously make a decision to not try hard. I think it's an environment that they're put in, which leads to that. And you know, you you know yourself from from everyday yeah. life. And, and but it, I think know. it's pressure to a degree. I, I don't right. I don't think. From my perspective, I don't. I don't think a player is going onto the pitch and thinking, "Right, well, I don't like this guy, so I'm going to piss about, and hopefully, he'll get sacked." Mm. I, I, that may happen. I would prefer to believe that generally it doesn't. Yes. But what I do think happens is that there is an environment, particularly at a club like United, where you've got a manager who is prepared to excoriate you in front of the press mm. happily, as we've seen with plenty of players. Mm. Um, You've got a club that probably receives more attention 
And particularly at the moment, because of everything that's going on, everything is under the microscope. Mm. You probably don't want to be the player that screws up. Yeah. And so when you've got someone like Rashford, who, yeah, I mean, he's he's a local lad. He's a, effectively a Man United fan turned player, isn't he? So maybe there's a degree to which he thinks, I don't care about that. I'm just going to keep trying really, really keep hard. Keep running fast. Keep running fast as much as I can. But there will definitely be other players there thinking, mm. maybe I don't have the confidence to go forward, right. you know, because a lot of these issues... Also older, also thinking they have less of their careers left. Are they wasting their time here? Is maybe this a that. bad decision to come here? Maybe that. Rashford is a young guy, he's got his whole career ahead of him. Yeah. He's not going to feel so time-pressured in terms of his entire career, yeah. right? But I also think there probably are just bad decisions being... I mean, f- for me, for example, Ander Herrera, mm. you use Ander Herrera as a an attacking eight, yeah. right? You don't use him as the guy who runs around nibbling people's legs all the time and he can do that like he did with Hazard famously in that game against Chelsea but you're wasting that player if that's what you're asking them to do and if you're asking them to do that and they probably think well I can give more than this are they going to try and stretch the game or are they just going to think you know what I've been told to just run around cover people tackle people I'll just do that It's, it's easier it's what I've been asked to do I don't want to do something, try and do something a bit out of the ordinary, maybe sure. lose possession in games where the instruction is keep it tight, keep it tight, keep it tight. It's it, a retail job. What's the point? It creates an environment where people don't necessarily want to try and express themselves, mm. particularly. It's it, it's most jobs, <laughs> come to think of it. Yeah. I don't mean to isolate retail. I just mean if you do something fantastic on the shop floor, yeah. no one cares. I think no one cares. And also, you're... You, you're going to get disproportionately in trouble for doing something really, really bad mm. than you are going to get praise for doing something good. Yes. Well, back to your father, hey? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm going to keep doing that. Let's move on then. Uh, yeah. to talk, well, we should say, and we talked about them quite a lot last week, Liverpool, fantastic, uh, very exciting stuff. Um, Tottenham Hotspur, 1-0 away, uh, sorry, 1-0 at home to Burnley. At home, I can't really say that, can I? They were at Wembley, well, so it's sort of their home. They were the designated home team. Yes, they were the designated home team, and they won 1-0. They definitely are closer to Burnley uh, to Wembley than Burnley are. Mm. Um, I think this is a, an interesting one to, to, to slot into the conversation we're having about long-term projects, because, of course, Mauricio Pochettino is probably the best, um, the best uh, example of that, and this is potentially an example of a game that they mightn't have won last season or the season before. Uh, they snatched it late. It was a 1-0 victory. Christian Eriksen, who incidentally only came off the bench, I think, around 70 minutes. Um, a real game-changer, as they say, uh, everywhere other than here and here. Mm. Mm. But uh, you can really see, I guess, I'm trying to think, for some reason in my head there's an analogy with a flower. <laughs> I was trying to think of something cooler. But Tottenham's flower is blossoming right. from the seed that Pochettino planted within. And uh, the, the bees are coming. They're really soaking up that sweet, sweet pollen. Uh-huh. And they're pollinating yeah. uh, all around North London now yeah. and all over the league. Yeah. Um, then really not far off top spot. And they, again, I, I you know, hate to labour a point, but this is an example of a game that they may not have won uh, a couple of years ago. This is a proponent of a long-term project. Pochettino, he made comments after the game about how he hopes to be there when they move into the next in their new stadium mm. to achieve the, the, uh, winning the league, winning trophies in, in the coming seasons, he sounds like a manager who's not going anywhere for a start. But secondly, he also confirmed that they're aiming for top spot, you know. And it's not it's not without their grasp, is it? Um, Come on, get excited! It's Alex. not. It's I, I think. How I, do you get better if you're okay? Let's put it a different get way. Get better players. Okay, but there are, there are, there's a long-term project there. We can see mm. what he's doing. There have been tactical alterations. We've seen this season Lucas Moura running ahead of Harry Kane. Yep. is probably the main uh, That's uh, the, version the, of that. Yeah, right? um, and that again is similar to some of the ideas that, um, that that Jurgen Klopp has implemented with Liverpool this season. How do you get better? Because it seems like Spurs each season hit their capacity as as you mentioned because of the players at their disposal. Mm. But then they they push it every year. So where do you expect them to go? What would you do if you were in his position? Well, I think it's I think it's tricky because you want to, if you're someone like Pochettino, you're not going to be thinking, 
I just go and buy the most expensive central midfielder in the world. Yeah. And that's the right thing to do. Yeah. He will have a very good sense of the sort of players that fit the style that he wants. And he's, you know, he, he picked this guy, uh, Oliver Skip, I think his name is, mm-hmm. who made a debut in midfield playing alongside Sissoko. And he, there will increasingly, I think, be opportunities for a few younger players to see if they can come in and, Obviously, the role that needs filling is the Dembele role. Mm-hmm. You know, the press-breaking midfielder who can hold the ball, who can dribble it through tight spaces. Is that can... is that something that Pochettino might be hoping Sissoko could fulfil? Possibly, if he's very optimistic. Mm. Um, but you know, look, the, the I didn't watch this game, but you've got a back line of Rose that where you've basically got two left backs, then a very good centre back, and then Trippier. And then ahead of that, Sissoko and and some, you know, basically a reserves player making his debut in midfield. That doesn't indicate an enormous amount of of depth. No. So he's going to want to find. It's probably not much because what's what's going on ahead of that is still pretty impressive. And you know, I think in players like Song, you've got Song. I think is possibly one of the most underrated Premier League players of the last couple of seasons. Um, obviously, Kane. There is an argument that like, he's brilliant, but can he keep doing it and without a huge amount of support? You know, their the replacement striker is Fernando Llorente, who is mm. very different kind of striker, the sort of striker that you would have to switch the way you approach play to, to get the best out of. Kick it at his head. Kick it at his head, basically. Yeah. And he's really good at having it kicked at his head. He's got an interestingly shaped head for that. Yes. Um, but I think... Yes, I think there are maybe some issues around depth, but I think what I like about Pochettino is he doesn't strike me as the sort of manager who will think, okay, well, I've got even 20, 30 million to spend. I've just got to go out and get somebody. Mm. I think He's him, not panicking, is he? He's not panicking. And I think also with Daniel Levy uh, at the helm, who's clearly a smart guy as well, there's not going to be that sense of we must get someone, mm. you know. The only thing that I would look at is, yes, okay, they're only six points behind, but Liverpool and Man City just seem to be in a class of their own mm-hmm. this season. Mm-hmm. And and I think before the season, you would have said that only Man City were in a class of their own. I think Liverpool have joined them. Uh, Liverpool haven't lost. City have only lost once. And Spurs have lost four times and haven't drawn. So I think I think there is enough of a gap there to say it's not going to happen this time round. Best of the rest. I guess it best of the rest is Spurs or Chelsea. Well, also, I mean, Arsenal did beat Spurs a couple of weeks ago, didn't they? Yeah, they did, but that was, you know, again, that was in-game changes. I think I think Arsenal will be possibly be a real force next season. Mm. I still think there's there's a transition happening there. Again, I think Arsenal have got personnel problems in some mm. areas. It's really the big five now, isn't it? Probably their best defender, you know, Rob Holding, mm-hmm. in terms of the, the style that makes sense to try and play in the Premier League as he's coming back from an injury. The others, you know, Koscielny looked weak against us, but he's coming back from a long injury. Mm. Um, they don't really have adequate cover for Bellerin, who's so important going down the right for them. Mm. So I, I don't see them being best of the rest yet. I think I think Chelsea because Chelsea have got such a strong sense of what they're trying to do mm. and did it so well against City. Okay, well let's move on and talk finally then about Manchester City who beat Everton three one at mm. the weekend. Uh, there were noticeable um, rested players for this game, and uh, Gabriel Jesus came on in place of Aguero. He's had a bit of a rough season so far, but he was fantastic in this game. And I think the the thing, the key difference there, we talk about you know. Uh, Rested players at Arsenal and at Spurs. Um, rested players at Manchester City really doesn't mean very much because no. uh, the first eleven is still inconsequential. It's, it's absurd. I mean, uh, yeah. as we said, we had Sane, Mares, and Gabriel Jesus up yeah. front, and Sterling came on and um, nabbed nabbed a goal in the second yeah. half. But uh, it's uh, it just the one thing I did want to ask you about this game, though. I don't know what else to say about Manchester City. We talked about them so much. We made so many videos about them. They're just phenomenally good, right? Uh, the one thing I did want to ask is that Everton, 
uh, squandered two or three very good chances in this game. Mm. There were chances to be had. The XG stats at the end of the game indicated yeah, yeah. that the difference really wasn't that great. It wasn't. So what, what, was, what was happening there? I mean, because it looked like if... if, if and they had two particularly very clear-cut. Mm. If they put those away, suddenly we're talking about a very different game, aren't we? We're talking yeah. about Manchester City being far less dominant than, than they were. So offensively, dominant, phenomenal, of course. Defensively... Question marks. Well, it's the same thing. If you if you press City and and you can try and exploit space in behind the way they come forwards by pressing them, turning the ball over, and then going for it, they can look vulnerable. Um, and Everton sort of played themselves into trouble, really, particularly with um, the goal where Yerry Mina gave it away, and there was a clear pass on for Pickford out to the left-hand side, which for some reason he didn't take. And yeah. I think someone made a point there that what was interesting about that was that the players had a clear set of instructions. The centre-backs on, on a goal kick, the centre-backs drop very wide back. One centre-back stays at the top of the D and then they create this kind of pass and try and break the press by rotating the ball and moving it forwards. When that doesn't quite work according to plan, yeah. they don't really know what to do. Yeah. So Silver is developing a system there where it's not yet instinctive and there's not yet room to improvise and adapt within that system. Yeah. But Marco Silva is quietly, fairly quietly, turning Everton into a really good side. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, and without necessarily too many players that you would look at and think, oh, you know, there's a world-beating player. I know Gomez is a very, very capable all-round midfielder. Mm-hmm. Um, Richarlison obviously had an outstanding season for Watford, last season and and started this season pretty strongly. Just a gay? Uh well I'm a big fan of him. Um he didn't play in this game, but he you know, he's again he's been very, very important for allowing Everton to push forward mm. and attack more because he does such an insane amount of work yeah. covering. But I think Silver is kind of I think Everton are another side, maybe like Arsenal, who are transitioning who are finding out the best way to play under a new manager and um, finding out which of the players in their squad can adapt to that and look potentially next season like they're not going to win the league next season Mm. but they're going to make strides in terms of their style and potentially in terms of their achievement around maybe a top four place or something well regarding Manchester City it seems to me and perhaps this is um, you know just at the basis of the last couple of weeks, that there are more defensive frailties in this team than there were last season. Or at least that there seem to be more occasions on which uh, opposition teams could harm them, whether or not they do, and that results in a goal, yeah. is besides the point. But as I said, in this game, there were plenty of opportunities for Everton to, to get something out of it. Um, and that's something I feel like I didn't see as much last season. Yeah. We were talking before about Pochettino and Klopp adapting things and making tweaks uh, on top of what was already a successful system. Mm. Has Pep done that? No, and it's quite interesting that if you look at... Pep seems to have... I mean, at Barcelona, Pep adapted enormously. Season season, to season, there were changes. And Um, the same at Bayern Munich. A degree less, but it still happened an awful lot. And there were more changes that seemed to be of a sort of game-specific variety at Bayern Munich. Um, I say that largely going off what's in Pep Confidential rather than having sat down and watched all his time at Bayern because yeah. I didn't. But but there's definitely an inference from that book that you can draw that he was very prepared to do that. Mm. City, I think, and again, this is why I feel like they probably won't win the Champions League. They they have perfected to a, as much as you can perfect anything in football, but a, a certain style of play that they seem really quite wedded to. And when it works, it works brilliantly. But I think crucially last season with Liverpool, Klopp showed that there are ways to break that up and to take advantage of it. And More teams are doing that. More teams are doing that now. And I think possibly part of that is because it happened last season. Mm. You know, before there was this kind of unstoppable juggernaut of attacking players screaming towards you ridiculously fast ridiculously skillful and a lot of teams would have done their you know five minutes of opposition scouting and thought fuck me we're we're screwed all we can do is sit back yeah and maybe it takes a team 
like Liverpool last season, to turn around and go, yeah, do you know what? There is a different way of doing this. And to show other teams that there is the potential not to be steamrolled and actually to try and break the city press, to try and get through it, particularly exploit the areas behind the fullbacks, mm-hmm. put, put pressure on Fernandinho. Fernandinho is, to me, uh, I don't want to say he's the weakness in that system because he's an exceptional player. He's pretty much the only guy that does that role. Yeah, And if he has a bad game or if a team shuts him down, there's just a, a smidgen to which they don't adapt. Mm. And I would be really worried if I were them about who would fit in that role. I mean, they've absorbed to a degree, they've absorbed the loss of Kevin De Bruyne, who was last season's outstanding player. Mm. Partly because Bernardo Silva is playing so well, partly because Gundogan is back from injury. Um, if Fernandinho were to get injured, what, you'd probably be looking at Delph in that role? Yeah. Or maybe taking one of your more creative players and playing them further back, which I don't think makes sense. So, yeah. Or Stones would play up. But then you've got Otamendi and Laporte next to each other, which happened in this game, and they didn't look all that assured. So, yeah. Okay. They're not well, unstoppable, City. No, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the rest of but the that's, season. That's a really good point about Pep not adapting as much. Mm. And, and I, I just wonder why. Maybe it's because, you know, when... Maybe he's tired. Well, no, but when he was at, <laughs> when he was at Barca... You had Atletico Madrid and you had Real Madrid, particularly. When he was at Bayern, you had Dortmund, who were very, very different in terms of the style. Yeah. And maybe the last couple of seasons, or last season particularly, he just felt that there wasn't a team that was able, in quite the same way, to push and challenge, except for Liverpool. And it's only Liverpool and maybe... He didn't feel the need to adapt so much. Maybe there's less of a sense that he... Mm. Or maybe he feels he has reached what he's aiming for in terms of a system. And I don't know. You can't get inside the man's head, but... We could try. We could try. Um, we've ru- we've overrun sort of massively. Oh, we always do. Yes. And we did have a long list of questions from uh, from uh, subscribers, um, which unfortunately we don't have time to answer now. So I'm sorry about that. The thing I was going to mention with regards to that, though, was that there were so many questions, and thank you for all of them, uh, that there were a couple of hundred in the end. And we would like to answer as many as we possibly can. So my thinking on this is that we will extend the period by which we will answer those, because many of them were non-topical. Um, so we could uh, take a run at a few of them over mm. the next month, as yeah, opposed yeah. to just in one episode. Incidentally, next week is, of course, uh, uh, Christmas week. Uh, Monday, when we would normally be recording the podcast, is uh, Christmas Eve. We will be in the office. Uh, so I'm thinking perhaps... In place of a podcast uh, like this one, we could do the entire thing answering some of those questions. Yeah. Because I think we'd get something interesting out of that. Let's and then we'd that. get through a lot of them in one go. And you can send them to me so I'm less rambly because I've actually had time to sit and think properly about how to answer them. That's true. Or I could just uh, ask you them anyway for yeah. fun. To fun. try and catch me out. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much to everyone who has listened to today's podcast. Thank, thank you, you to our channel members who support the channel. That's very kind of you. And uh, that's it, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I hope everyone's enjoying a lovely uh, festive holiday build-up. Uh, and we will speak to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.